Hopefully, uh, you had a, a moment to take advantage of our online giving, and uh, fortunately, uh, we, can, we can see, actually, we can check out how we're doing. All I have to do is just log in here to our, our bank account and see how the giving, how the giving was. Huh. <laughs> hmm. 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 Hey, uh, check this out. The, the Eads, Brett and Heather Eads, they, they just gave $550. That puts them in the red ribbon category right here. They're red ribbon givers. So write that right up there, the Eads. Um, well, the Parsons, the, the Parsons just gave $347.30. I don't know what that's about, but, the, but that's, that's not as good as the Eads, but that puts them in the white ribbon category. So I'll write that right here. Well, this is just a way we celebrate these wonderful uh, good deeds. The e- Parsons white ribbon givers. Um, let's see here. Um, oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh! oh, oh. <laughs> Joe Burnham just gave $5,000. That means Joe Burnham. Joe Burnham is a blue ribbon giver. So I'm going to write that right up here. Joe Burnham, blue ribbon category. We'll just do this now and then, you know, time and time and time again to celebrate. But man, Joe, I know, Joe, I know that you're out there. I mean, it must feel really, really good to be... uh, a blue ribbon giver. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Joe Burnham. Seriously. And Alan and Jennifer Parsons, Brett and Heather Eads. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are here with us, wherever we are. And now we ask that you would help us to preach your word. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This is where we left off last week. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Literally translated, you will be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Next, next verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Theothani is the, the Greek word. It's where we get our word theater. For then you will have no, no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, when you give alms, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocriti, the, hip, the hypocrites, the actors. That's where we get our word, that means literally actor in Greek, hypocriti. As the actors do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Tone anthropon, the people. Truly I say to you, they, they've received their reward. Epicusin. They used to stamp it on receipts. It means paid in full. So sorry, Joe. I guess uh, that trumpet trumpet blast was your reward. <laughs> Bummer. Actually, I should probably be honest with you. I was lying about what Joe Burnham gave, and Alan and Jennifer Parsons, Brett and Heather Heather Eads. I actually don't have access to that information. I'm, I'm happy not having access to that information unless people want me to have it. I'm sure that they gave far more than, than I mentioned. 
Well, anyway, historians, they, they doubt that people actually blew trumpets in Jesus' day when they gave, and of course I was just joking around. Uh, they doubt that they actually blew trumpets, but they did find ways to toot their own horn. They would toot their own horn when they gave money, or they prayed a prayer, or they sang a song, or they volunteered for a mission project, or wrote a book, or preached a sermon, if you can imagine that. Well, here Jesus refers to these three cardinal disciplines of Jewish life in his day, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. And he says, well, when you do these things, don't go off tooting your own horn. Don't do them to be seen by people. Next verse. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is, is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the Hippocrates, uh, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by the people. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. I, I love this. In Greek, it's in crypto. He's like encrypted all around you and even in your room. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus now goes on to talk about prayer, but then he continues the same idea regarding fasting. Uh, Jesus' disciples did not fast while he was with them, but he said there would come a day when they would, when he was absent. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by the people. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and, and wash your face that your fasting may, may not be seen by the people, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus is saying, don't do your good deeds to be seen by men. But just a paragraph back, do you remember what he said? Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's a little confusing, but I think Jesus is saying, don't try to shine your light. Don't try to shine your light, because then it's not light. It's, I guess it's dark. John, John tells us God is light, and Jesus is the light of the world. So Jesus says, don't shine your light, but let it shine. You remember who he's talking to, poor in spirit, meek and mourning, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Let your light shine. It's almost as if we're like a mirror reflecting light, or maybe a lamp containing a light that's not simply our own. And so it must be like our ego, that covers the light and keeps it from, from shining. Don't do this stuff to be seen by people, says Jesus, because then you already have your reward. You have your reward. And you all know that a, a blue ribbon or a diploma or a, a promotion, once you get it, it's just not all that it's cracked up to be. Don't do this stuff to be seen by people but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will reward you. But rewards are, are kind of confusing, aren't they? I mean, for one, if you think that you've earned a reward, well, it really isn't a gift. It's a wage. It's like a paycheck. You don't think of that as a reward. It's not grace. 
And number two, if the rewards are different for each person, well, won't I be jealous of other people's rewards and insecure about my own rewards once I get them? I mean, I would hate to think that heaven is a bunch of jealousy and insecurity. And number three, when people do good deeds in order to get rewards, don't they usually end up hating the deeds that they do? They no longer experience the deeds as good. And maybe they are no longer good. They're no longer reading for fun, but studying to pass a test. They're no longer singing for joy, but they're trying to get an A in concert choir, like like me. They're no longer proclaiming good news. They're laboring in the ministry. They're no longer giving a gift to their lover. They're paying taxes to the welfare state. They're, They're no longer dancing for joy. They're exercising to lose weight, doing aerobics. If I do good deeds for some other reward, the deeds aren't good. If I give to the poor in order to get a plaque or a ticket to heaven, I'm an actor. I'm acting, I'm acting like I love the poor while I'm actually using the poor to make myself rich. If I use good deeds to gain something other than the good, I'm crucifying the good. And that's evil. So Jesus says, don't do this stuff to be seen by, by men. And check it out, I'm, I'm a man. So I'm not even supposed to know I'm doing. How can I do a good deed in order to get a reward if I don't even know I'm doing it? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that the deed will be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Give to him who begs from you and don't even be aware that you're doing it. Don't even know that you're doing it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now do it! Well, it didn't work anyway, because actually my left hand and my right hand, they knew what they were doing because my self-conscious brain, well, it it told them. That's why I consciously put my right hand under, you know, put it in the basket, I put my right hand under my shirt while I use my, my, my left hand. I was aware. But you see, to really give without knowing it, I'd have to be like, sorry, my, now my microphone is making noise. But that's okay. I think it'll work. I'll tuck my shirt in, Mike. But to really give without knowing it, I'd have to be unaware of myself. Um, now, I'm, I'm, now I'm aware of myself because of microphone. Now is it working okay? All right. I, What's that? I can't hear you because you're wearing a mask. Yeah, it's free now. So it should. Okay, right here. All right. Okay, I'm I'm sticking it in as best I can. Now I'm aware of myself. 
But in order to, to, to give and not let my right hand know what my left hand is doing, I'd have to give without knowing it. I'd have to be unaware of myself, like, like outside myself, right? I'd have to be like beside myself, beyond uh, myself, unconscious myself, of myself. I'd have, to, I'd have to lose myself to do good without trying. You know, little children are so cute until they become conscious that they're cute. And then they're no longer cute because they're trying to be cute. They're so cute until they're conscious that they're cute and therefore try to be cute, then they're no longer cute, at least not in the way that they're striving to be cute. You know what we call that? Growing up. In the novel Paralander by C.S. Lewis, the newly created Eve on Venus is tempted by the evil one with a mirror so that she can look at herself and judge herself. In the garden, the newly created Eve on Earth was tempted with the tree of knowledge so she could judge herself and then justify herself. Ever since then, we've been striving to be good because we've seen that we're not good and we can't seem to get back to the garden. Jesus said you must become like little children to enter. And did you notice that Jesus keeps referring to these folks on the hillside as children, did you know that? He keeps talking about their father. Well anyway, it's a nice idea to be non-self-consciously perfect, but it's a bit beyond us. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Give alms without even trying. Yeah, right. Reminds me of Hebrews 4.11, strive to enter God's rest. It sounds like work to not be working. Discipline yourself to not be disciplined. God is at rest, but let's hope that he's still working, right? At least here and right now. I mean, what kind of work is really rest? What kind of perfection is also freedom? unrestrained freedom. How, how could everything move? How could my right hand move, my left hand move in perfect harmony without my conscious effort, without me restraining them? How could I lose myself and find myself perfectly coordinated? Years ago, I was thinking about all these things when I remembered an old movie clip and I couldn't get the clip out of my mind. It's a ridiculous movie about an underprivileged, uncoordinated white boy whose family spends every night out on the porch singing songs uh, together, dancing. His family's black. He was adopted and he doesn't quite know it yet. It plays off of racial stereotypes that black folks can dance and white folks can't. Of course, that's untrue. And yet, in a way, sort of, kind of, it, maybe it is a little true. The color of your skin doesn't determine how well you can dance. And yet, arrogance or lack of arrogance might. It's usually not, you see, the oppressors that do the best dancing. It's the oppressed. They seem to be most in touch with the music. Maybe that's because they're least stuck on, on themselves. Well, the boy's name is Navin, played by Steve Martin in the movie The Jerk. 
I played the clip for you in, in the past, but because we're live streaming and they sometimes will shut down the live stream if they pick up a movie, a movie clip, I'm just gonna describe it to you now. Navin tries to dance, but he can kinda only jerk himself around. He's, he's stiff, like, like a zombie. No matter how hard he tries, he cannot coordinate his feet with the music or his right hand with his left hand. And the harder he tries, the worse it gets. Until one night, lying in bed, he just gives up. And that's when a miracle happens. He's lying in bed listening to the gospel hour when a tune comes on the radio and he looks up and notices that his toes are moving to the music. Then he watches as his hands start to move to the music and snap along with the beat. He, he jumps out of bed, dances into the other room, yelling, Mom, Dad, look, this music speaks to me. Then he dances on out of the house and lives the adventure that is his life. So he yells, I love this music, and then he dances on out of the house and lives the adventure that is, is his life. I love that scene because it's hilarious. And it, because it highlights this amazing miracle that is dance. You see, it's when Nevin stops trying to dance that he begins to dance. It's when he finally fails that the music succeeds. It's when he loses himself that he finds himself dancing. If you've studied music theory or physics, you know that music is extremely logical. It seems mysterious to us because there's, there's more logic than the conscious mind can comprehend, yet the conscious mind can recognize the order in the music and, and we call it good or beautiful. We can't comprehend the music, but, but the music can comprehend us. Our bodies can be coordinated by its logic. It's logos in Greek. Nevin said, this music speaks to me, and he danced. To some Jewish do-gooders who weren't doing any good, Jesus said, my word, my logos, finds no place in you. We played the flute for you, and you, you would not dance. In Scripture, God speaks creation into existence, or perhaps he sings it into existence. Creation is like a great dance, the manifestation of a word, and so that word is encrypted. It's hidden in. It's undergirding everything that's anything, everything that's made. Creation is like a dance, but not everything or everyone is dancing. Not yet. Not everything is free. A dance is incredible order. The right hand and the left hand are perfectly coordinated. A dance is incredible order, and yet it's, it's all free. Freedom is a lack of deliberation, a lack of deliberation between two or more wills. When you're trying to dance, you're consciously imposing your will on each member of your, your body, right? Right, left, one, two, three, four, clap, spin, shake, shake the booty. You're conscious. As long as you notice and have to count the steps, writes C.S. Lewis, you're not yet dancing, only learning to dance. 
But when you dance, the, the rhythm, the logos, bypasses, bypasses your conscious mind, or at least your conscious control, and it animates your body while you consciously find yourself dancing and, and, and thinking to yourself, dang, I love this funky music. A great dance is perfect order, freedom, and a lack of conscious control. It's beauty. It's the manifestation of grace. And children dance easily. I mean, they may not have the most sophisticated dance, but, but at least they actually dance. Go to a wedding, and the dance floor will be full of little children, all the little children dancing. They love to dance. When my kids were little, they danced just about like all the time. Children lose themselves easily, and so they easily find themselves dancing. They lose themselves easily because everything is bigger than them, and they just don't have much self to lose. The bigger you are, the harder you are to lose, and the less your world is filled with wonder and the less likely you are to be swept off your feet and caught up in a dance. Proud people don't dance well, or at least they don't dance easily. To be proud is not the same thing as being pleased with yourself. To be proud is to think you must justify yourself. It is to be occupied with exalting yourself, which is usually diminishing everyone else around you. To, to dance is to surrender the self to something larger than the self. Friedrich Nietzsche said he could only believe in a God who would dance. But nothing's larger than God. So how could God dance? He'd have to somehow limit himself and yet still surrender himself to himself like a son dancing in the light of his father's gaze. C.S. Lewis wrote this, in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a, kind of dance. The early church described God as three persons and one substance. God is, God is love. God is three persons and none of them proud, but each one of them constantly humbling uh, the self, exalting the others, and then dancing in that light. What does it all matter, asked Lewis? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us, or putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his place in that dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Well, anyway, we asked, how do you perfectly obey without consciously making yourself do so? We ask, what kind of perfect order is also absolute freedom? Well, how about a great dance? And we ask, what kind of work is really rest? Well, how about play? When little children play, 
They build things. They expend tremendous amounts of energy. They suffer pain, but it's not work. It's play. They don't have to make themselves do it. It's, it's not discipline, it's more, like, well, it's more like dance. They do everything that we do, but they have fun. Because I worked at a church, my children played church. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Okay, this is where the church service is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we, first we're gonna pass around the offering. Now, what does the water do? It clears up your mind so you can see God better. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. I'm thinking of the three ninjas. God love is a bubbling over. God love is a bubbling over. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you need any praying, you can talk to John. He's right there, and he'll go press you in the back of the prayer room. And today at the children's sermon, we're going to talk about why God made the earth. How did God make the earth? Did he make it out? God made the earth. Well, yeah. <coughs> well, how did God make the earth? Does anybody know? Raise their hand. Who, how he, did God make the earth? John? He used cheese. And I just know why God has given us this world to face the eat and Jesus for the eat and mice for my eat it. Thank you, thank you, Coleman. I can't show you a commercial movie clips because of our live stream, but I can show you this. And as you know, I showed it to you last week. My kids taking an offering, praying, preaching, not so much fasting, but, but doing religious good deeds. I told you last week it was the worst church service ever performed, but for me, it was perfection. For me, it was stunningly beautiful. It was good. I know that movies of other people's kids are are usually not so good, but when they're your kids, they're usually beautiful, even painfully beautiful. In all honesty, um, I can hardly watch the home movies that we have in our hall closet. Because when I do, I ache I just ache inside with this longing that I can't even really even describe. I ache to go back to that afternoon with my kids in my daughter's bedroom. So I've been asking myself, self, what made that afternoon in the girl's bedroom playing church when you so desperately wanted to get away from church, it was probably my day off, what made it so good? so beautiful. They played church, not like an actor in in a theater. They played church as children play, as if all their work was recreation or recreation, a holiday, a holy day, not exercise, 
dance. They sang, they prayed, they took an offering, they preached some sermons, practiced righteousness, and it was beautiful. But you know, if I had said, listen kids, no TV, no TV uh, tonight unless you sing some songs, some worship songs, pray some prayers, take an offering, and, and preach a sermon. Now get to it. Well, it would not have been fun. And it would not have been free, and it would not have been good or beautiful. And imagine if I had said, at the end of the service, there will be an evaluation. And I'll blow a trumpet and I'll hand out awards, maybe a blue ribbon, a red ribbon, and a, and a white ribbon for the, one, for the one that prays best and the, the one that, that sings best, the one that preaches best. Well, that would have just turned into weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And imagine if I said, you know what, I've invited all the neighbors to come and watch. Well, I know that my kids would have just frozen. No one would have sung. No one would have prayed. No one would have preached. Elizabeth might have preached. She would have seen it as a challenge, but, but it wouldn't have been pretty. And there would have been no spontaneous dancing. So what made the church service, for me, the father, what made the church service in my daughter's bedroom so beautiful? Well, to put it in theological terms, I think it was this. My kids were not trying to justify themselves. Instead, they were expressing the joy of their justification. They were not trying to earn my love. They were dancing in the light of my love. They weren't trying to be good. They were just expressing their goodness. They weren't trying to make themselves in my image. They were delighting in the fact that they were my image. That's not pride. I think that's something more like worship. It wasn't showing off so much as perfect Humility. Perfect humility dispenses with modesty, wrote C.S. Lewis. Let me say that again. Perfect humility dispenses with modesty. It wasn't humility that made Adam and Eve cover their shame after they took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't humility, it was pride. It was the belief that they needed to make themselves in the image of God. That was the lie that made them hide from God and stop dancing. It was the thought that they needed to impress God that made Adam and Eve modest. On the other hand, my children danced so immodestly because they believed that I was already extremely impressed with them. Their dance was not perfect in an objective or complete sense, but they were, in fact, perfectly dancing. Maybe one step here, one step there, but it was the dance, and it would grow into a kingdom. Most of what we call religion, I don't think, is the dance. But at least in moments, my children were dancing. They were dancing in the light of my unconditional love. And you see, that love didn't simply come from me or Susan. That comes from our Father in heaven. 
So did you notice that seven times in just these verses we read today, Jesus informed this non-Christian group of Gentiles and Jews on the side of the mountain that, that God was their father, which makes them all God's children. He says, don't do your righteousness to be seen by people, including yourself, I think he's saying. Don't do your righteousness to be seen by people, for then you have already received your reward. And like we pointed out, rewards can be problematic and usually are quite a letdown. But then Jesus goes on to say this, do these things to be seen by your Father, and your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. So what is that reward? You know, I think we can only begin to speculate, but maybe first and foremost, it's to be seen. He will see you. I mean, be honest. Don't we all desperately long to be seen? Ever since Eve and the first Adam took the fruit from the tree, we all long to be seen, and yet, yet we are terrified of being seen. And this may be the dirtiest trick of the devil. We all, we all become actors in an effort to get God to look at us. And yet it is that very act that hides us from his love. And so he looks and says, I don't know you. Because that's not you. That's an act. See, I think piety hides you from God. And righteousness is a communion with God. So, so maybe the reward, if you, if you do it for your father, maybe, maybe the reward is to be seen and then to see yourself in the light of your father's eyes. If you see yourself in the mirror of the law, you will judge yourself and try to justify yourself and so create a false self, you'll create an act. But if you see yourself in the eyes of your father, you'll see your true self and be judged by relentless love, which is mercy. You see, his eyes are a fire that burns away the false self, the illusion that you have created yourself. His eyes burn away the false self and reveal the true self created in the image and likeness of God. It's our false self, our ego, that keeps us from hearing the music of God's love. And it's our true self that dances to the rhythm of his infinite mercy. You are the apple of his eye, but you did not create yourself. You are his creation. He sees his creation and he declares, he declares, ah, oh, it's good. It's not arrogance to agree with God and enjoy his judgment. That's not arrogance, that's humility. In Hebrew, the apple of the eye refers to the ishon, the, the little man reflected in your father's eye, the, the pupil. When, the little man reflected when he, he looks at you and you look at him. And when you look at him, looking at you, your eyes reflect his glory. You let your light shine. The true you is so glorious that if you think you must justify yourself, 
you will be utterly crushed by the weight of your own glory. You must believe that you have been justified, made right, and paid for completely and solely by grace. So maybe the reward is that you realize that you are seen by love. And then you're able to see yourself in your father's eyes and rejoice, and then you will join the dance, and the dance is its own reward. Righteousness doesn't pay for the dance. So much as righteousness is the dance that has paid for you and now calls to you saying, come and join me. There is no reward for love. Love is the reward. Love is your creator. The reward is to be seen by love, made in the image of love, and then begin to love, to join the dance. See, I think that church service in my daughter's bedroom was like just a glimpse of the Garden of Eden. But my children, my children weren't returning to Eden. I think they were leaving Eden. John left first, followed by Elizabeth and Becky, then, then Coleman. In other words, they went to school where they would gain knowledge and make a grade. They learned to judge themselves so they could try and justify themselves. <laughs> they forgot they were good. Started trying to make themselves good. More accurately, if I said it more accurately, I should say they had enjoyed the good, but they didn't yet know they were good. And so they were tempted to make themselves good instead of expressing the goodness that they were. That is, each of them was tempted to grow up. And grown-ups hide and stop dancing. Coleman was the last to leave, and so he was particularly cute in the video because he was the worst at acting. <laughs> and so his true self was exposed. I watched it a few times to get down what he was saying in his sermon, but this is what he preached. I know why God gave us this world. Toothpaste to eat, and Jesus for to eat. And I'm gonna eat it, amen. You see, he had just gotten in trouble for eating toothpaste. Coleman had like a toothpaste addiction and he smuggled it into the church service. He was eating it during the, the church service. He, and so in his sermon, he was trying to justify himself. But his sermon was a confession. He smiled and we all said, oh, thank you, Coleman. So cute. 15 years later, he had become better at hiding until he got, got busted by the cops for more than abusing toothpaste, but smoking pot. <laughs> Ironically, it was like a few months before it became legal in Colorado, but, the, but it, was, it was painful, it was bad. The, the experience though, it was bad, but the experience was incredibly good. For through all that pain, you see, I got to show that Coleman that my love for him was unconditional. <laughs> And unconditional love is the good. Unconditional love is the logic of the dance. 
You see, we will all return to the garden. My children will return to the garden. They're already returning to, to the garden. We will all return to the garden. In the words of T.S. Eliot, we will arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We will know the good, and then we will choose to dance in freedom. That's the good, and that's life. We each have experienced the good, but until we've returned to the tree in the middle of the garden, until we've been to the cross and learned that unconditional love is life, we haven't truly known the good, for we haven't truly been known by the good. Jesus is the revelation and manifestation of the good. Jesus is the heart of the Father given to us on a tree. God is the good. And his word is the life. He is the logic of the dance. So the reward is to be seen by the good and see that the good has made you good and join the dance, choosing to dance in perfect freedom because you agree with the judgment of God, your Father, love is life, and life is good. Actually, you give birth to the good. For every good deed you do is the fruit of his spirit within you. I'm aware it's Mother's Day. And this whole time we've been talking about the Father. According to scripture though, there's actually only one Father. And all of us are the mother. Giving birth to life, the fruit of his spirit. When, when you surrender to the logos of God and dance with, with God and Christ Jesus our Lord, you give birth to good deeds. The life of the good in human flesh. Those good deeds are also your reward. But number one, you see, they only come by grace. They're, they're not a wage. Even though, yeah, they do involve labor. And number two, the rewards are different in each person, but there's no need for jealousy. Well, because we're all one body, even a bride and then a, num a, a mother. And number three, to seek these rewards is not using the good. It's surrendering to the good and giving birth to the good. God in human flesh, the body of Christ, dancing. Hundred some years ago, I read in Ghana, Africa, the Presbyterian missionaries allowed their African converts uh, to worship in their native style just during one part of the service. So to this day, in many African churches, they dance the offering. They say it's the only part of the service where people smile, and that's what makes any offering good. Now, you, you may say, well, gosh, <laughs> Actually, I don't give to the needy, pray, or fast. Well, if you don't do any of those things, you're, you're not dancing. So, so you might want to say to me, well then, should I make myself? Should I, should I make myself? Maybe so. But if you make yourself, you're, you see, you're still not dancing. Instead, try practicing the dance steps Practice the dance steps, but only while you're listening to the music. We love because he first loved us. That's, that's the music. If you're not listening to the good news of your father's unconditional love, well, you may convince yourself that you're dancing, but you're probably just jerking yourself around and everyone else with you.
Coleman got an electric guitar for Christmas one year, and immediately he wanted to he wanted to play. He began to practice. He couldn't wait to play. But it's hard. It's hard to make your left hand make the right position for the chords while simultaneously telling your right hand to strum out a particular rhythm. Well, I got this uh, score to an old Elvis tune off the internet. A, a, a score is like dance steps. It's knowledge of good and evil. I, I showed him how to position his fingers on the neck. I, I described the strum, but it all sounded still <laughs> really bad till Coleman discovered his secret. One night he said, Dad, Dad, come here. You sing and I'll play along. Well, when I sang, his fingers just began to dance. I mean, his right hand, it moved in perfect rhythm. His, his left hand would change chords at exactly the right time, all because he happily, happily surrendered to the word of his father as I sang, I'm just a hunk of hunk of burning love. See, it was at that point that all of his discipline turned into dance. God the Father is singing. His word is Jesus. And he'd like you to play along. He'd like you to dance. And so the word of the Father took bread and he broke it. When we did our worst, he did his best. I think that was the plan all along. He broke it and he said, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this is the covenant in my blood. poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. All of you.
So Lord God, I thank you that you are 100% love. You are 100% consuming fire. You're burning love. So look at me, God. And I thank you for giving me the courage to look at you. You're good. And I thank you that you make us good so we can join your dance. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen. So what am I saying? What is God saying to me? What is God saying to us? You know, I think he's saying, well, keep going. Keep, keep giving your little offerings. Keep, keep preaching those little sermons, Peter. Keep going on those little mission trips. Keep going to your office. Keep trying to love your neighbor. Keep, keep uh, caring for your children. Uh, keep up. Keep going. Practice all these little distance, di- disciplines. Practice. But constantly aware that your father is watching and that his eyes burn with infinite love for you. Because when you're aware of that, that's the point at which your discipline turns into dance. And that dance is not little. That dance is the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5:17, International Standard Version. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have disappeared, and look, all things have become new. That's quite a reward. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.